Well, good morning to everyone. It's so good to be here. I just want to greet those who have joined us also by Zoom and those who will join us by Sermon Audio. Would you turn with me to the book of Numbers chapter 16? The book of Numbers chapter 16, as I've mentioned a number of times with regard to the Old Testament, in the old days in my religion it was a flyover book. You had to get through the Bible in a year. You come to much of Numbers, much of Leviticus, much of Deuteronomy. You'd read it as quickly as possible, skim it, pass through it, and mark your card that you've read it. Well, the book of Numbers is much more than that now. It is the gospel of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, written by Moses. And just remember what the Lord said about Moses. Moses wrote of me. So here in this uh, last section of this 16th chapter, we have an issue that illustrates the unchangeable problem of the natural heart. We might hope after we looked at verses 1 through 40 last week of this 16th chapter, we might hope that people would change after they had seen so much. They had seen the earth open up her mouth and swallow Korah and a host of people with him. They heard those heart rending cries of the rebels as they fell down into the pit. Having seen the fire of the Lord consuming the 250 other notables that were in Israel that had joined Korah in this rebellion, and having witnessed this judgment of God and other judgments of God, and having a display of God's power and majesty demonstrated right before them, one might think, might suppose that these people would... start to walk softly and humbly, and that the whispers of discontent and rebellion would be no more heard in the camp. Well, as we're going to read this section of Scripture, it's sorry to say, we're going to see these people once again do what we do by nature so well. They're going to once again rebel against God and against Moses and Aaron. Sorry to say, going to an ark in Kentucky, or going to a grave in Israel, or going to a building that has a sliver of the cross, changes no one. And I'm being facetious about that sliver of a cross. The flesh profiteth nothing. The flesh is utterly incurable. So join me here in this book of Numbers chapter 16. And I want to begin reading with verse 41. Numbers chapter 16, verse 41. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a year later, and it was not a month later, and it was not a week later, but it was the very next day after Korah went down into the pit that we have the rebels of the, the congregation Tell Moses, you have killed the people of the Lord. Now, in the original language, that is a very, it's a, it speaks so much harsher than we do here. It's more like you, you have killed the people of the Lord. And then, as we really research it out, as we come to the conclusion, we find that the Lord did that as he had said he would. So, as we look here in this book of Numbers, chapter 16, verse 
41, nevertheless, the very next day, the very next day after the earth had opened up, the very next day after Korah had been taken down into the pit, the very next day after 250 leaders of Israel had been consumed by fire, we find that these people came up against and complained against Moses and Aaron and saying, you have killed you have killed the people of the Lord. And then in verse 42 it tells us, And it came to pass when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron that they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation, and behold, a cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Now, from our standpoint, probably Moses and Aaron moved over there pretty rapidly. We have the entire congregation of Israel against them. We have three million, two million, six million people against Moses and Aaron and accusing them of this. And Moses tells us here that uh, the Lord spake unto Moses in verse 44, get you up from among the congregation that I may consume them as in a moment. And they fell upon their faces. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and said, if you just step back. Now we know that the Lord had all things worked out. And oftentimes we find him speaking in a manner uh, for us to uh, look at and to review, knowing full well that the Lord was not going to consume the entire congregation of Israel because in there was the tribe of Judah. And in the tribe of Judah was the the one that would bring forth and then bring forth and bring forth until we come down to Mary, the virgin, we find that uh, he was going to preserve them. But the threat was out, and we find that, that Moses in the past had already dealt with a number of threats of the Lord. And one time he said, instead of taking the congregation of Israel, just take me, take my life. We find that also another time that... Uh, Moses said, oh, if you do that, what will everybody else say? And we find that the, the Lord has testified in his word that he is going to get glory in all things. He gets glory from creation. He gets glory from the sun, moon, and stars. He gets glory from the mountains. He gets glory from outer space. He gets glory in the way he acts upon this earth. He gets glory when he saves somebody from their sin. He gets glory in all things. So that's not going to be an issue with the Lord. He will receive glory. He says that the wicked are made uh, all things. He made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day and uh, for that day and for his glory. So he's going to come here and the Lord does this. He says this uh, before us and before all of Israel. And we find that Moses and his reaction is that I'm no longer going to appeal to the Lord to take me, or the Lord to, uh, his glory would be diminished, or anything else. We find what the entire book of Leviticus was about, uh, much of the book of Exodus was about, what the book of Numbers is about, and what the book of Deuteronomy is about, and the rest of the Bible, is that there is an absolute need for an innocent taking place, taking the place of the guilty. And this has been demonstrated by the sacrifices that have been taken place. It is demonstrated when the Passover was 
uh, instituted there in Egypt, and it's been in, as they have observed the Passover here in the wilderness, and as the sacrifices have been taking place every day, they have had a demonstration that the innocent must take the place of the guilty. We are the guilty ones, and we need someone that is innocent. We need someone that has no sin. We need someone that can take care of the problem, and we find that that is in all of these sacrifices, pointed to the one who would come, the Lord Jesus, the promised one, who is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, and he is in the covenant of grace. It's been determined that he is going to provide the uh, the very uh, need of everyone that God has intended to save. He will be their lamb and take their place and die in their stead and have our sins placed upon him. Well, this is what we're going to see played out in this passage of Scripture. In verse 46, And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer, and put fire therein from off the altar, and put on incense, and go quickly unto the congregation, and make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord, the plague has begun. Now, if we follow this through, uh, and we will, we're, we're going to notice that God brought a plague upon Israel, and it is consuming people, and in the end, 14,700 people are going to be consumed by this plague. But the the cry of Moses to Aaron, Aaron is the high priest, and he speaks so highly of, and in a picture form, of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his, uh, his working in the, the covenant of grace to provide all that was necessary for the fall of his people. And so he is, uh, Aaron is uh, caused to go put fire there. And now he's going to go to the altar and get some fire from there. And you know what has just happened there? There's been a sacrifice. And that wood has been used to consume that sacrifice. And so Aaron is going to take some remembrance of what took place there, that the fire has burned, the sacrifice has been consumed and placed in this plate, this brass place plate that he has, this censer that he's going to take and put that in there, and then he's going to put some very special incense on that fire, and it is going to put off an odor that is, or a, a smell, I should say, a positive thing that is so glorious. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Exodus chapter 30 for just a moment. Exodus chapter 30, and it tells us about what made up that, uh, that uh, sweet-smelling incense. Exodus chapter 30. Here is the prescription for it, and this is what was going to be used. Now it's going to be put on top of those coals that have been taken off the altar. Just remember that that fire, that, those coals have just been used to consume a sacrifice. The innocent took the place of the guilty. Now this is in pictures, types, and shadows, and it's all through the Old Testament. We find it was with Abel. We find it was with uh, Noah. We find it was with Abraham. We find it was there at the Passover. We find here that it's with Moses. And it's going to be traveling through the Old Testament and comes down to the person Christ Jesus who became the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, this one that had promised to come and take care of our problem. Well, here in the book of Ephesians chapter, excuse me, Exodus chapter 30, Exodus chapter 30. Here in Exodus chapter 30, beginning with verse 34, we have this wonderful passage of Scripture sharing with us what the perfume is going to be. And thou shalt make a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary, tempered together, pure and holy. 
and thou shalt beat some of it very small, and put it uh, before the testimony of the tabernacle of the congregation, where it will meet with thee, and, and it shall be the most holy. And as for perfume, which thou shalt make, ye shall make, not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof, it shall be unto you the holy for the Lord. Whosoever shall make like unto it shall to smell thereto, shall even be cut off from his people. This is going to be a wonderful apothecary. This is going to be a wonderful blend of different spices and oils that are brought out. If we back up there in um, uh, verse 34, the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, stetchi and onitka and galbimum, these sweet spices with pure frankincense, each shall there be a like weight. So they're very uh, odiferous, wonderful smells put together. And that is what's going to be used here in this passage of, of uh, we're reading in the book of Numbers. In the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, let's go over there. Same word is used here as that, as that uh, incense. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 27 and verse 9. The book of Proverbs, chapter 27, and verse 9, we have these words written and recorded for our good. Now, this verse of Scripture tells us, Ointment and perfume. Rejoice the heart. Ointment and perfume. That word perfume is the same word for incense. Now, there's going to be some people over there in Numbers chapter four, chapter 16, as we read in the last part of that passage of Scripture, there's going to be some people that are going to rejoice that that plague did not strike them, that that incense was taken in among the congregation, that Aaron was used to stay that plague because he took this these uh, bits of uh, ash off of the uh, off of the altar and this incense, and it says ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. This word perfume, the incense, the sweet savor of our Savior rejoices the heart to realize that we're not at warfare with God any longer, that we're at peace. He hath broken down the middle water partition. He has made peace with God on our behalf. And then if we go over to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, we have these words recorded about our Savior. And in this passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, we have these words used that remind us so much of what we've been reading of there in the book of Numbers. When we have that word incense, when we have that word, uh, that blend of sweet-smelling spices that nobody else is to have, and they're not to offer it, it's only to be offered by these priests. Aaron is the high priest. He takes that wonderful-smelling incense sprinkles it onto those coals and the sweet odor that comes off of them. It says here in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice. Now notice these last few words, to God for a sweet smelling savor. How glorious is that smell that we have this rich, glorious smell of redemption, the sweet, glorious smell of the atonement, the sweet, glorious smell of our Savior, as is typified here in the Old Testament. Now it tells us, going back to the book of Numbers, 
chapter 16, Numbers chapter 16, we're going to look there and we'll see that it goes on to tell us in that passage of Scripture, it goes on to tell us about this, that the instructions that Moses gave to Aaron in the book of Numbers chapter 16, and we started there with verse 41, but we're moving down. We read there in verse 47, and Aaron took as Moses commanded. Now, what did he take? He took a censer, verse 46, and put fire thereon from off the altar. There's already been a consumption of a sacrifice. This is the remains of that. And this fire is going to be used to put off a sweet-smelling odor among the congregation of Israel. I remember hearing a story about a wagon train commander, leader, and some people noticed that as they were crossing the immigrant trail, the Oregon Trail, that there was some fire that had got into the grasses and was headed their way, and it looked like that they were at the end of their rope. They were going to be consumed by this fire. And they came to the captain of the wagon train and said, what will we do? And he said, someone bring me some matches. And he took some matches and he lit them and threw them out in that grass. And it started to burn that grass. And after it burned a pretty large piece, he says, okay, everybody pull your horses and your wagons over here where the fire has already burned. Fire can't get to you if you've already been in a place where it's burned. And how wise was that captain of that wagon train, and how wise is our great God to deal with our sin. How he did it. He used his son. He put his son to justice, to, to uh, punishment on our behalf as he became sin for us. He did not become a sinner, but he became sin for us. It was Our sin was laid upon him. And now we have Moses taking the remembrance of this into the congregation of Israel. And it says there in verse 46, the latter part of that, make an atonement for them. Atonement means that sin is put away. Now, as Moses gave those instructions... And we hear him told to go to the congregation. You know, our first thoughts might be in religion. We say, well, go to the good people. Well, that's one thing he didn't have a problem with here. There were no good people. They'd all come up and challenge Moses. They'd all come up and challenge uh, Aaron. And behind it all was they were all challenging God. They said that Moses and Aaron slew the people of the Lord. Well, it doesn't take us very long to read there. And they saw the whole thing. They heard every word that had transpired. And they had heard Moses say, step away from these folks. God's going to take care of them. If Korah dies as a normal man, I'm not speaking for you. Well, we find in the scriptures that if a prophet gets up and, and preaches and it doesn't come to pass, then don't follow him. He's not of God. And Moses is say, sharing here, you go do this. And we find that when it came to Korah, he said, if Korah dies a way that has no man has ever died, then you can take it to the bank. I am the one that God has ordained to be here. Well, we read there early in chapter 16 that the earth opened up, something that had never taken place like this. And these folks went down into the pit, and they went down into the pit alive, and then the earth 
closed over the top of them, and they were gone. No longer would they be giving a problem to Israel, but that seed had been planted. Where did the seed of rebellion get planted? Right in the garden. Adam brought that seed of rebellion in the hearts of people against an almighty God. He was told what to do, he was instructed what to do, and it was done in love and compassion, and yet that man did everything what he was supposed not to do, that's exactly what he did. He's just like everybody today. If you can't have one thing, you don't have anything. You're going to go cry about it. Well, here we have the Lord uh, instructing Moses to write these things down. And it says there in verse uh, 46, the latter part of it, For there is wrath gone out from the Lord, the plague is begun. And Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation, and behold, the plague was begun among the people. And he put on incense and made atonement for the people. How God's sacrifice has already taken care of, and the blood has already taken care of. It's already in the, in the, the covenant of grace, has already been taken care of for all his people up to this point, and Jesus Christ is going to fulfill that covenant of grace at the cross, but atonement can now be, and that uh, blood of the atonement, the sacrifice that was made in the blood of the atonement, means that there is no longer any sin that is chargeable uh, to his people. Now, this is just a picture. This is the type. This is a shadow. The, this, These coals of fire and this incense didn't save anybody from anything. But in the picture that God gave them, it stayed that plague. And the blood of Christ stays the plague that we have. It stops it. It puts us out of, out of issue. There's no longer any payment due. And it goes on to tell us here, Now they that died in the plague were 14,700. Aaron stood between. Verse 48, He stood between the dead and the living. And the plague was stayed. Now we have a record of how many are here. You know, it is so valuable to the church to know that there is an election, a remnant, according to the election of grace. If it wasn't for God's interest in saving a people, there would be nobody saved. They would have all been consumed, and we'd all be going down into the pit. But God had an interest in saving a people for Jesus' sake. For what he would do on the behalf of his people, he'd lay down his life, a ransom for many. And he's the one that's going to stay the plague. But we also find out that there are those, as the ninth chapter of the book of Romans, God has the right, it tells us over there. Does not a potter have power over the clay? And God shares with us there. Well, let's just go over there and read that part in the book of Romans, chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. We have God has a right. He is God. He is God. He has the right to do with this world as he sees fit. He has a right to do with his people as he sees fit. Now he's going to do with his people in love and mercy. But here in the book of Romans chapter 9, and there, let me see the verse I want. 
let me look here. Verse 21 of Romans chapter 9, and excuse me for that, but in Romans chapter 9, verse 21, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor, and he has the power to make another vessel unto dishonor? That's what it says. What if God willing to show his wrath? Now, he did show his wrath there among those people, 14,700 people were slain by Almighty God there before Aaron stood between the living and the dead. Here it says, What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? Why doesn't he take them out of this world the moment they're born? Or why are they even born? Because it pleases him, and they, uh, as it says, here endureth much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory so we have god preparing it already for glory but he also has stated here that there's going to be many that are going to suffer his wrath among that congregation of israel that day so long ago there in numbers chapter 16 we find that the lord was very merciful. Among all of them, 14,700 died. They were rebels against God. They were Esau's, if you please, a demonstration of Esau's. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. So as we look at this, we find that the Lord has the right to do all of this. Now, in this, as we look at this chapter, in this chapter we see how jealous God is of the sole right of appointing the way and means of salvation. He is so jealous of that. Nobody else is going to get involved in that. You cannot get involved in your salvation. It is not a a mutual agreement between God and men. God is going to save his people, and we are so dead in trespasses and sin, we're so rebellious against God that we would not reach out to him. And if we could, we wouldn't. And since we can't, we won't. So it's just a, a, a thanksgiving to God that he would render mercy upon us. Christ, the mediator between God and man, the living God and the dead sinners. His atonement was not made for dead in a corporal sense, nor for men appointed unto death, but for the living in Jerusalem, written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, would you join me in remembering an account over in the book of Matthew, chapter 26? In the book of Matthew, chapter 26, we have here a lady that brought in some sweet-smelling odors. All of this is so tied together. What a sweet thing. You know, many years ago, I was in a, in a store here in the Dallas, Oregon, Fred Meyer, and a lady walked by, and when I crossed her path behind her by several feet, there was a, a scent that just caught my nose. It was so sweet, so delightful. And I went and asked that lady, what was that perfume she was wearing? And she was gracious enough to tell me, and I bought some of that for my wife. Now, she didn't need it to be sweet, but I bought it for her. It was so sweet. You know, this incense of the atonement, this incense of the sacrifice... 
the the delightful part of it is so glorious to the church that it is in our meditation day and night. The delight that God would save his people from their sins, that he would not allow us to enter into it. We're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So here, as we look at the book of Matthew, we find towards the end of the ministry, the earthly ministry of the Lord before the cross, before the cross, he came to Bethany, in verse 6, to the house of Simon the leper. Now, if that doesn't speak highly of where he is, but we're going to find out that there's a lady coming in there, and you know we always grade people, and here's Simon the leper, and now we have a lady coming in here that is going to be so wasteful. There came unto him a woman woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment. Now just think for a moment that you're part of that great crowd of Israel and you begin to see behind you the consuming hand of God and then you see the high priest in all his regalia with a uh, a pan in his hands, a censer in his hand, and he's bringing it out and it's got coals in it, fire off the altar, and he sprinkled incense on it, and the closer he comes and the wind brings it your way, you smell that sweet-smelling odor, the, the sweet-smelling odor of a sacrifice, the sweet-smelling odor of blood atonement, the sweet-smelling odor of God's active involvement in the redemption of his people. Now think about that as we look here in this scene, as the Lord Jesus is here and laying down, and a woman comes in with an alabaster box, a very very valuable box by itself, and it has precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. She poured this oil. Now, he didn't resist that. He had appointed this. He, he knew full well who was coming through that door the very next moment. And he knew who well who had provided her with that alabaster box. And he knew who full well who had provided her with that oil, that precious ointment that was in that alabaster box. This is all the hand of God. Isn't it interesting that this woman came and did this work in preparation for his burial? And we read in the book of Ephesians, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This is what God does. We're not saved by works, but salvation will produce works. We will serve the master. And it will not be for reward. We're not looking for crowns. We're looking to serve our master, our king. So it says here that this woman, having this precious this uh, alabaster box, a very precious ointment, poured it on the head as he set it meat. He's the sacrifice. Here's the incense being put on him. And when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, Now, is there much difference between what all that whole congregation of Israel was doing and what these disciples were doing? They had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? Those people over there in the Old Testament, in Numbers chapter 16, said, Moses and Aaron, you kill the people of the Lord. Well, we realize very quickly that not all Israel is of Israel. Every one of those that died were Israelites. 
They were all descendants of Abraham. They were all descendants of one of the tribes, of Jacob and his 12 sons. They were all that. But they were taken out and those were taken down to the pit. Those were consumed by fire. And here we have a great plague breaking out and going to take 14,700. Well, for this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. And when Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. She did a great work upon me. She poured this out. For ye have the poor always with you, but me you have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall go also this, that this woman hath done to be be told for a memorial of her. Now we go on and find out Judas uh, Iscariot went to the chief priest right after this. But notice this. She's done it for my burial. Wherever this gospel is preached, there's going to be this account of this woman pouring this very costly ointment on my head for my burial. I am the sacrifice. The incense has been applied. Atonement shall be made. Well, we find as we follow the very life of the Lord Jesus these last few days, this ointment is not something that you would just instantly wash off. It has an odor about it, just like that incense there in the Old Testament. They had a place where they burnt incense in the Holy of Holies. It was the altar of incense. They burned that daily. It was the sweet smell that would go in there and and fill that room and follow that priest out as the ministry of the Lord went forward. And here we have the very same thing as the Lord was preparing in going into the Holy of Holies. He has the sweet incense placed upon him, and it's going to follow him for the rest of his earthly existence here before his uh, resurrection. We're going to find that this smelled pleasant at his arrest. It's not going to be long. Judas is going to be bringing back all those folks And he still has that great smell of this costly ointment on him. What a sweet smell as those soldiers came uh, to him. I don't know what they thought, but here is this sweet box of alabaster, the alabaster box of the sweet ointment poured upon the head of the Lord Jesus. And he, they can smell it at his arrest. And you know what? Judas smelled that when he gave him a kiss, got up close to him and kissed him. He could smell that alabaster box of ointment poured upon the Savior. Not his Savior, but the Savior of his people. He smelled pleasant at the trial as as, uh, Pilate tried him. And as he was before Herod and others, we find that he smelled pleasant at the scourging. As those men took their great power and, and scourged the body of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, He smelled pleasant at his crucifixion as he was laid down on that cross and nails driven through his flesh. Those who did that, this odor was there. It was present, raised up between heaven and earth on that cross. He was, he smelled pleasant. Well, there was an odor that someone caught up there on that cross. There was the man on the right-hand side that in conversation with his friend said the very same thing. 
you know, if you be God, take us down from this cross. And then God worked a work of grace in that one one's life. Oh, as he smelled that sweet ointment, God had brought him to the knowledge that this is the one that's going to lay his life down as ransom for his sin. Great sinner, murderer, all kinds of great crimes. And yet the Lord said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so what sweet savor that man smelled. And then we have those who took him down from the cross. They buried him. And he. this was all done for his burial. He's going to enter into that tomb with this. And then there's going to be others added. You know, as we remember, on that resurrection morning when they came and they wondered who was going to take away the stone from the opening of that tomb where the Lord was laid. They came with more spices uh, to put around that body of the Lord. Uh, they're, you know, we think of them, boy, they're coming there to the resurrection. No, they're coming there to put more spices on it. They didn't realize in the, in the moment. They hadn't been revealed that Jesus Christ truly was going to be raised from the dead, just like he had promised so many times. And when they came and saw that empty tomb with that stone rolled back by the angel, what a pleasant smell they smelled. The church says, what a sweet-smelling Savior. What a sweet-smelling Savior. What a sweet-smelling atonement. The blood of Jesus Christ has atoned for our sins. He has gone into the Holy of Holies. There he met with the Father, atoned for our sin, and now we no longer have it charged against us. We're, we are free in Christ. We have been saved by his grace. And so as we go back there to the book of, of Numbers, we see this played out as Moses was directed to write by the Holy Spirit, just like all the prophets, all the writers of the New Testament. Sometimes we make a mistake and say, oh, we're going to go to the writings of Paul. Well, Paul was a secretary, and that's all he did. He was given that word. We're going to the writings of Moses, this fourth book of Moses, the book of Numbers, chapter 16, and just quickly go through there one more time. You know, as Aaron came up to that fire, he took the fire therein from off the altar, put on incense, and ran quickly through the congregation there was a sweet savor that was being carried by the high priest. There's a sweet savor taken by our high priest. He's a sweet smelling savor unto God. And this stayed, isn't that interesting? This stayed, it stopped. In verse 48, Aaron, the high priest, stood between the dead and the living. And the plague was stayed. You know, the plague of the fall stayed by the blood of Christ. Stayed by that wonderful smell that we have that comes from the atonement. Comes from the innocent dying for the guilty. This is the gospel. And we have it here. Now, in the last verse, And Aaron returned unto Moses, unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the plague was stayed. Now it's interesting, in the very next verse, we're going to have that God's going to instruct them again. He's going to show them again, by some walking sticks, who he actually appointed to be 
the high priest, Aaron. Aaron's rod that budded. We're going to look at that, Lord willing, next time. And so we're thankful for you being with us today. We ask that the Lord would bless his word to your heart and that you would have that sweet savor that is given to us because of the blood, shed blood of Christ and the atonement that he's made on our behalf. We say as that man at the temple, not bragging as the Pharisee did, but as that publican said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. What's that word merciful? It means may the mercy seat be for me. May the atonement be for me. Well, you can't say those words without it already taking place. So God bless you until we meet again.